This morning we are continuing our series, um, which is Gifts, Exploring 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Uh, JP here uh, kicked us off a couple of weeks ago, uh, giving an overview of why we should eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And if you've not heard that, I thoroughly recommend it. It's excellent. You can find it on our website. Um, but one of the key things that, that, that John pulled out of that message that I um, want to remind us of here is that these are gifts, like a present given to us by Jesus, the risen Lord. Because Jesus died on the cross. He died for our sins. And he rose from the dead so that we could know him. We could worship him and have eternity with him. And when he rose, he gave us gifts by his spirit so that we could better know him and worship him. The gifts of the Spirit are from him, for us, for him, for his glory. And I want us to have that in mind uh, today as we pick out just a couple of the uh, spiritual gifts in this list. And the ones we're going to be looking at today are the gift of tongues and the subsequent gift of interpretation. There's a lot to cover on this. Um, So I'm going to dive straight into the Bible, and I'm going to be reading from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 19. Um, I'm reading from the ESV. 1 Corinthians is a New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And the words will appear on the screen, um, but can I encourage you, if you do have a Bible with you, um, have it open in front of you, because I'm going to be uh, quoting from several parts of these, these three chapters, 12 to 14, as we go, and it'd be great to follow along. But 1 Corinthians 14, starting at verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. It's a good start to a talk on tongues, isn't it? Something else. For one who speaks in a tongue, oh good, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you, unless I bring you some revelation, or knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves... If your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, which means not understandable, which is an ironic choice of word there, um, <laughs> how will anyone know what is said? For you, you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, 
one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind's unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, which is praying in tongues. But I will pray with my spirit. But I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit. I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person isn't being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Well, let's deal with the elephant in the room. What even is tongues? What is it? What is this gift? Well, and I won't be um, testing you later, but the Greek word that we have translated here in in English as tongues is glossolalia. Um, Which basically means a language that is foreign to you, a language you don't speak. And if you're familiar with the story of Pentecost, um, at the beginning of the church, you'll know the the receivers of this gift were filled with the Spirit of God and spoken languages foreign to them. Though that day, they were understandable to visitors in their city from other countries. So that's clearly one manifestation of the gift of tongues, a language that other people understand, languages from, from earth. Paul, though, here assumes that no one will understand us. He goes further in in chapter 13, verse 1. He says this could be an angelic language, a language of heaven. Which means our default expectation of tongues is that they will be unintelligible, indistinct. That we should be expected to be received as foreigners. And I think even if it is an earthly language and that's what we're doing, there are hundreds of languages And I would assume then that I'm saying one that most people don't understand anyway. Which for me, and maybe you're the same, raises the question, why? Why? God of love, God of order, why do you give us a language we can't hope to understand? Beggar's belief. Well, I think in this passage, Paul gives us a couple of compelling reasons. And the first one we find in verse 2. It says, One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. The gift of tongues is a gift of prayer. Which is true in the Pentecost story too. You know, the, the apostles are filled with the Spirit of God. They speak different languages. They pray and praise God. There are people in there, there from Syria going, Hang on, that's my language. He's praising God. Huh, that's kind of interesting. Maybe I'll stand and listen to this Peter chap. And Peter then speaks to the whole crowd. Though at that point, it's just one man. So we assume he's speaking just one language. Probably Greek, the language of the day. So they pray and praise in tongues. But they address, they speak to man in the, in the language of the day. Tongues are a spirit gift for prayer. They are from him, for us, 
for him, to have a relationship with him, for speaking to God. One of the great commentators uh, of uh, 1 Corinthians is a guy called Anthony Thistleton, and uh, we especially like him because he was at one point the head of theology at Uni of Nottingham. So that's good. Comes with extra credence. Um, and he, uh, he comments on this passage with another passage, uh, Romans 8, also written by Paul, in tandem. And that, that, that uh, verse says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We don't know how to pray, but the Spirit helps. And Thistleton says this, this this groaning combines praise and yearnings that go beyond words. Insight, feeling, or, or, or longing at the deepest level of the heart needs an outlet, needs to be released, he says. The Holy Spirit gives the capacity to plumb the depths of the unconscious as the Spirit's gift. I'll say that again. Tongues gives us the capacity to plumb the depths of our unconscious as a gift from the Spirit. I sometimes uh, you know, think of uh, tongues, I don't know if you're the same, as this sort of burbling I do until I think of something good to say in English. <laughs> Please, I'm not the only one. Well, it's true, actually. The Spirit helps us to pray, but it barely scratches the surface of what the Spirit releases in us as we pray in tongues. The word help in Romans, in that that passage, means in cooperation with. When we speak in tongues, we remain in control of our own bodies. You know that, yeah? (laughs) It's our mouths that move. It's our vocal cords that cry out, but through them... The Spirit helps us to pray prayers from our deepest being. Prayers of petition, prayers of passion, prayers of penitence. The gift of tongues is so much more than just a placeholder until we can think of something to pray in English or your native tongue. The gift of tongues is nothing less than our heart's otherwise untold cry to our Father in heaven who hears us. What a gift. What a gift. And this is a little off the point, but I do want to, uh, to push into this. Because when we speak in tongues or prophesy or anything like that, we are in control. Okay, We're in control. The Holy Spirit helps us, works in cooperation with us. In the Corinthians' day, uh, the notion of religious ecstasy in cults was, was very common. You know, it'd be a frothing frenzy of inarticulate worship to the false god of the day, Dionysus or Cybele. That might feel like ancient history, but we fast forward uh, 2,000 years. I don't think the idea of being possessed has left our zeitgeist. Hasn't, certainly hasn't left our horror films. But if we look forward to Chapter 14, verse 33, it says that our God, the true God, is a God of peace. That we are not overcome by a domineering spirit seeking supremacy over us, forcing strange languages from our lips, speaks of God's perfect character. He is 
good. He is gentle. He is patient. And he works in cooperation with us for our good. So firstly then, tongues is a gift that helps us pray. Secondly, Paul says in verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Builds himself up. Even though, he says in verse 14, even though my mind may be unfruitful, I will speak and sing with my spirit in tongues. Our tongues isn't explicitly mentioned in any of the other letters of the Bible, um, but speaking in the spirit or praying in the spirit is. Um, and that's not to the exclusion of everything else, but it will include tongues. Jude says that as we pray in the spirit, we build ourselves up. Very familiar language. We build ourselves up in the love of God, in brotherly unity, in patience, in perseverance, in mercy. Ephesians 6 says that as we pray in the Spirit, it enables us to stand against trouble, to fight against the enemy, to proclaim the gospel, to move the heart of God to supply the needs of his people. If you want to grow in these things, and I think we all do, we pray in tongues. For as we utter mysteries in the Spirit, so we are built up in Christ-likeness. So tongues does two things. I'm sure it does more, but today it has two things. It helps us to pray as we can't otherwise, and builds us up and equips us in the unseen realms. By the way, we shouldn't be alarmed that tongues isn't mentioned in any of the other letters. Um, we can read in the history books. It was in all the churches. It's just that actually Corinth was the only one that really needed correcting on how they were be behaving with it. See, Corinth was a, a city um, much like our own, very affluent, very successful with business. Um, and so they kind of had all their material needs met. And so they had a real desire for spiritual things which is uh, true of a lot of us. Um, it's one of the hallmarks of millennials. I know some of you are and some of you aren't, but, but our society coming through is not expecting to know poverty, not expecting to know hunger, not expecting to not have a roof over their heads. I know it's not true for all of us here, but for the majority, that's how we live. So our material needs are met. So there's a hunger for spiritual things, as Paul says in verse 12. Which is good, actually. The Corinthians, though, thought that actually speaking in tongues was the marker itself of how spiritual you are. Which wasn't true. But it meant that the church there was an absolute mess. Absolute chaos. Because you had this side of the room... Praying out in tongues, declaring to the room the loudest tongue they could possibly do to prove how much they love Jesus. And then you had this side of the room, praying out in tongues as loud as they possibly could, showing off how much they absolutely love Jesus. And this side of the room were like, well, I can't hear either of them, but I'll do it as well. <sighs> it's exhausting. Chaos. By the way, I fully believe that these were really tongues, you know, really gifts of the Spirit from the mouths of people who really, really love Jesus. The problem wasn't that they were faking the gift, but they were abusing it. And there's actually a 
uh, a little point for us here because we're all recipients of grace. We have all been given grace gifts like tongues. And yet we're all still broken, proud, confused people being built into the image of Jesus, the perfect man. We receive, as that song said earlier, waves of mercy. And God doesn't hold back his spiritual gifts until we are, quote-unquote, ready to receive them. It's grace. This is why Paul changes his wording in the Greek from spiritual gifts to grace gifts. How gifted you are doesn't depend on how spiritual you are, but rather on how gracious God is to gift us even when we haven't earned it. Do you know what? They were even the gift that makes us worthy of earning it. That's what we've seen as we speak in tongues, so we are built up into Christ-likeness. And so we become worthy of the gift he gave us in the first place. It is a grace gift. But it does mean we can get it wrong. We can get it wrong. We can, like the Corinthians, misuse our gifts. Which is what chapter 13 is all about. Ben's going to speak on it in in a month or so. We can prophesy and speak in tongues until we're blue in the face, but we need the love of God, which is Jesus himself living in us to shape and direct us. Otherwise, our gifts are useless and frankly annoying. But as John rightly said a couple of weeks ago, the answer to misuse is not disuse. Just because you and I get stuff wrong doesn't mean we shouldn't do it because we're under grace. Amen? Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Paul writes his letter not to stop them speaking tongues, but rather to correct their understanding and use of it. In chapter 12, he he twice lists different spiritual gifts. And tongues and their interpretation make the list both times. They're always at the bottom. It's not as important as you think, mate. The general theme. I want you all to speak in tongues, he says there in verse 5. Don't throw it out the window. Just don't do it to the exclusion of everything else that God has to offer. Oh, he says, and interpret. And then um, I'm going to speak about interpretation in just a moment, but first, I want this to, to land with us because God offers the gift of tongues to every single person in this room. I want you all to speak in tongues. He offers you the gift of a deeper prayer life. A chance to be upbuilt in the likeness of Christ. In the unseen realms. And if you've never received the gift of tongues, well, at the end, you can. You can. We're going to make some space and you can come forward, you get prayed for and uh, we'll we'll coach you through how to receive this gift for yourself. I want you all to speak in tongues, Paul says. And before I move on, I I do want to just share a a personal story. Uh, I spoke in tongues 
years ago. I mean, younger than I can remember. And because I was in a charismatic church, they loved it. You're like, hey, you're five, you love Jesus, why don't you speak in tongues? Oh, all right. Um, and I did. The problem I had was actually I was in a church that abused the spiritual gifts, like this Corinthian church. There were a lot of problems. And it meant I stopped. I stopped praying in tongues. I was a bit shut down to it. I still, you know, operated in the spirit. I'd still prophesy. I'd still, uh, you know, pray for healing. But tongues itself, a bit of a, a, a black mark. You just hold it at arm's length. I know it's there, but it's not, it's not really for me. And that stuff I did when I was younger, yeah, it's probably just foolishness of youth. Well, that's not me anymore. There is healing. There is healing. If that's some of your experience, oh, you know, it's kind of a black mark, or maybe I did it once, but I'm not sure. I've responded, and maybe. He can bring healing today. And you can receive the gift of tongues. So come forward. Don't skulk at the back later. Come and receive the gift. Now, back to our passage. You could be forgiven for reading it through and coming to the conclusion that Paul wants to see tongues only done in private, you know, only at home with yourself. We, we read uh, passages like verse 18, it finishes the bit we read today. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So don't bother showing off about it. I'm always praying in tongues. Nevertheless, in church... I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. But as we read on to verse 26, Paul says, talking about orderly worship, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Bottom of the list again. He says, when you come together, when you assemble, when you are church, the body of Christ together, you can bring a tongue and an interpretation in public. It's allowed. Under the proviso, though, that all things be done for the building up of the church. See, when we pray in tongues in private, we are personally built up. But Paul in church is seeking mutual growth, which comes through interpretation. Roger, if we can have um, verse 12 up on the screen. Paul says, So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, as we've seen, strive to excel in building up the church. How do you do this? Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. And then moving down to verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? What's translated here as um, one in the position of an outsider? It's kind of clumsy for just one Greek word. And that word is idiote. Idiote, which means, well, it's where we get the word idiot from. 
which is quite hard to hear. Because it means that when we pray out a tongue in church and it's left uninterpreted, we make an outsider feel like idiote, foolish, unlearned, and unable to participate in the worship of Jesus Christ. And we don't want that. We read further and... In verses 20 to 25, it says that tongues uninterpreted actually leads visitors to ultimately not believe in Jesus, saying instead that we're out of our minds. Wow. And to correct this, uh, Paul challenges the Corinthians in, in verse 13 that you know, either the tongue bringer should say nothing at all or be prepared to interpret themselves, which is fine. You can do that. If you bring a tongue... Interpret yourself. Wonderful. We do have to remember, though, that this is a specific letter of correction to a group that was shouting out their praise. When Paul moves into verse 26, it seems the norm for orderly worship, rather, is that one person over here prays out in a tongue and another person over here interprets. And, of course, we must remember the answer to misuse is not disuse. We don't give up on this stuff because tongues and interpretation together are gifts for the building up of the church. All through this passage, Paul says, I'd rather you prophesied than spoke in tongues. At least people would understand you then. But verse 5 says, yes, prophecy is greater than tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Prophecy is preferable in corporate worship, than tongues unless interpretation comes. The implication being that then they are of equal value. You see, in the kingdom of God, there's no ranking system. No gift is superior to another. That's why Paul in chapter 12 names apostles and administrators right there in the same list. The only superior one is Jesus Christ. And he calls us to serve one another, to build one another up with the gifts that have been given to us. Thistleton, again, our friend from the uni, he says, building others is shaping the very landscape of eternity. Wow, don't you want to be part of that? So don't give up on tongues and interpretation. It builds up the church. And seeing as Paul spends so much time comparing it with prophecy. I'm going to go into that briefly. JP's going to speak about prophecy in a couple of weeks, so I'm not going to dwell too much time on it. But But what do we see? What do we see? Verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. When we prophesy, we speak from God to man. And I'm using the, the universal. I know there were men and women in the room. When a prophecy comes, it is God speaking to man. Okay? But he says in verse 2, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. It's a prayer from our hearts to God. Prophecy from God to man. Tongues from man to God. And interpretation should follow suit. It is a prayer directed to from man to God. 
and both build up the church. Okay? When we hear Jesus speak to us through the prophets in the church, oh, isn't it wonderful? Jesus is speaking to me. Wow. My life is directed and shaped and changed by Jesus speaking to me. I crave prophecy in our church. But when we hear someone's very heart, their, their, their insides, their viscera, crying out in a language they couldn't hope to articulate otherwise, and then an interpretation comes, magnifying the glory of Jesus, it opens our eyes to who he is, which is so much better than hearing about ourselves. We are changed as we gaze on Jesus. And why not just do a prayer? Why do we have to have the tongues bit first? Well, just as when a wife demonstrates her passion for her husband by first kissing him and then speaking words of love. So the visceral outpouring of tongues brings a deeper affection when the words do come. Tongues, followed by interpretation, demonstrate too God's character, his spirit of order, of peace and reconciliation. So let's get a bit practical, because I'm sure some of you are thinking, yeah, but how? How do I interpret a language that no one understands what it means? Well, first I'd ask you whether you consider yourself to be you know, filled with the Spirit. Do you operate in some of these other things we've seen? Tongues, prophecy. If not, great. Come and receive that this morning. Come and be filled. If you are familiar with those gifts, you do operate in that way, and you haven't interpreted or you don't, here's my number one top tip. It's an interpretation. It is not a translation. Okay, the Bible uses that word very specifically. I have an A-level in German and a GCSE in French. Ding dong. So if anyone else spoke in one of those languages, I could have a stab at translating word for word what had been said. And when I say a stab, I mean it's been 17 years and I have no idea anymore. But I could have a go. I know some of the words in French and German. I could translate. Who here speaks angel? I'm sorry. I, it's a bit out of date. That's what they used to speak. It's now heavenish, isn't it? Who speaks heavenish? Language of heaven? No? Of course we don't! No one knows what it means. We should be expected to be not understood. So we can't translate what has been said. But we can interpret the cry of someone else's heart. Because chapter 12, verse 11 says we have the same spirit. So when you hear someone praying out a tongue on the other side of the room, ask the same spirit who empowers their prayer to reveal to you an interpretation. And as a particular aspect of God's glory is, you know, comes to the fore in your mind, that's it. Might not be fully formed, you may not have all the words yet, but that's the beginning of it. Start praying it out, give it a go. What if, oh, what if, so Ben brings a tongue, and Chris, and Chris, you see, it's already confusing. But they both bring an interpretation at the same time, but they're different. Oh, no. It's an interpretation. How Chris interpreted it, it's different. I really should have picked a different name. 
how Chris interpreted it. It's different to how Chris interpreted it. If you're on the tape and you're listening to this, I'm sorry. <laughs> you might say, though, a tape, how old am I? <laughs> you might say, though, I often get prophecies. You know, what God has to say to man when someone brings a tongue. Well, I think the Bible's pretty clear on this. It says when we speak in a tongue, it's not to man, it's to God. And I think then an interpretation should follow. So the question really is, what do I do with that prophecy when it comes? Well, Paul says in in verse 40 of 14, all things should be done in order. In order. So hold on to it. If it's from God, it's still going to speak to people. So it doesn't matter that you do it slightly later. Wait for an interpretation to come. Wait for a prayer that comes from man to God to come. You know, we're not out of control. We're not. The Spirit doesn't compel us to behave at odds with ourselves, or indeed, at odds with his own word. I, I sometimes, and this is a personal thing for me, but sometimes I just get a sense of what it's about. Oh, you know, God's glory and we should worship him because he's glorious. Okay, that's what we're going for. Now, as a prophecy, I could bring that as, God wants you to know he's glorious and you should worship him. I'm speaking to man. But if it's an interpretation, I just change the pronoun. God, you are glorious. And I give glory to you and I want to follow you. It's not disingenuous. It's the same spirit of what's being said. It's just finding it in its order. So, why not try out interpretation? Maybe at home group. This week is devoted. The week after we're back, we'll be doing LAQs. Opportunity to try out interpreting. You can't get it wrong. Finally then, Jesus gives us this mysterious language to aid us in our prayers, build us up personally and corporately in the image of Christ. But I want to finish by looking at 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 12. Be on the screen. Love never ends. This is about Jesus personified as love. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. On that great day, when we see Jesus face to face, we won't need a language we don't understand to speak to him. Just as we won't need prophecy to hear him speak to us, we will see him face to face 
and talk with him, worship him, and know him fully. And the imperfect gifts of today will give way to a perfect relationship with him. Tongues will pass away as unnecessary. As the theologian Karl Barth said, because the sun rises, all other lights are extinguished. But that doesn't mean we scorn the gifts of today. Paul's language about being childlike here isn't, isn't scolding, it's positive about the appropriateness of being a child when you are a child. I've got a two-year-old, she, she's nearly three, and she's rapidly developing in her speech. But if she spoke like a grown-up, ugh. <laughs> It'd be weird, it'd be inappropriate, it'd be odd. <laughs> she and I talk together as father and daughter ought to talk right now. And Jesus, right now, gives us the grace gift of tongues so that by his spirit, we can speak to our Father in heaven just as we ought. Amen? Amen. Would you like to stand?